0: Well, thank you for bringing your Bibles with you this morning. Our text today, as we uh, kind of tie up this series we've been on the last few weeks on the subject of service and volunteering and being in ministry in the life of the church, because it's so important, I want to look at a very familiar passage of Scripture. All of us know the words to this Scripture because we've, we've either read them in the Scripture or we've heard them sung in various uh, iterations of music in the life of our culture Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and I'm going to read the first 14 verses here. There's a time and a purpose, a time and season for everything. And today, uh, I've entitled this message, Be Happy, Do Good. So when you leave today, you'll have a little handle on the whole point. Be happy, do good, and you'll have it. So again, from Ecclesiastes 3, if you have your Bibles turned there, if not, we'll project these words on the screen for you. Uh, and I'll invite you to stand to hear God's word as you're able. This is Solomon writing these words, one of the wisest men who's ever lived. He said, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens: a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill. Time to heal, to tear down, to build, to weep, to laugh, to mourn, to dance, to scatter stones, to gather them, to embrace, and refrain from embracing, search, time to give up, to keep, to throw away, to tear, to mend, to be silent, to speak, to love and to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Now look at verse 12. That's kind of our focus today. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. May God inspire us today through this important word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. If you're on the Union Chapel app right now, you'll find the outline of the message. If you have the bulletin, you have that in print in front of you. And there are five points I want to make this morning about how to do the best with your life, how to spend your life in the most effective way. And these five points all begin with a word that starts with the letter A. And so you're looking for these A words. And the first one is this. Accept that God has a purpose in the good times and bad times of your life. Accept that God has purpose in the good times and bad. Ecclesiastes 3.1 from our text. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. So all that means is God has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a reason He has a season for everything that happens. We see here in Ecclesiastes 3, these 28 different things or times of life, seasons that make up the fabric of our life. And these list of things are a contrast as you read them between the good and the bad and the positive, negative, the easy and the difficult. And then that leads us to verse 2. It says, for example, a time to be born and a time to die. Let me ask you a question. Uh, Do you embrace the season of death as easily and joyfully as you embrace the season of birth? Uh, The answer for most of us is no, and I'm not sure we're supposed to. But the point is made that in all these seasons of life, including death, God has purpose in it. There's meaning there. So accept good times and bad with God-given purpose. And it doesn't mean that God did it or that God caused it but rather that he's in it. He's with you no matter the season that you find yourself in life. So accept that. Verse 11 sums it up, says everything is appropriate in its time. And the reason everything, good and bad, is appropriate is because God has purpose in everything in its own time. So all of these things have God-given purpose. So remember to accept that God is at work, no matter what happens in your life. Here's the second A word, if you're writing this down, putting it on your app, and that is to affirm your faith even in confusing times. Affirm your faith in confusing times. Now listen to Ecclesiastes 3.11. This is a fascinating verse, very interesting. It says, God has planted eternity in the hearts of men. Planted eternity in our hearts, even so man cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. Now, let me just remind you that it is not a natural thing for us to do to affirm our faith in God when we find ourselves confused. Wouldn't you agree that, that in confusing times, all of our relationships get strained? Do you notice that? I'm confused, and so my relationships kind of wobble in that confusion. And your relationship with God will also wobble in confusing seasons if we're not intentional about affirming our faith even in the midst of the confusion. So if you want to handle the confusing times of, of your life, then you learn to reaffirm your faith in God. It's in those moments that you want to push into God and you want to associate with people who can encourage and inspire your faith and to come to places of worship like this where you can honor God and pray to God and extend your desire to God. So this is a very, very important thing. And, and then the Bible says here, God has put eternity in the hearts of men. He's What does that mean, you suppose? God has put eternity in our hearts. I think it means that he has given us all hope that there's something else, that there's something more, that there's something beyond us. Indeed, that hope that we're immortal, hope that we'll live forever, hope that there's something more significant for us in the next life even than there is in this life. He's put eternity. Think about that. He, he's put forever in our hearts that we have this idea this notion this hope that there's something else there's something more you know I really think you can summarize Ecclesiastes 3 by considering this phrase we are somebody and we are going somewhere we are somebody and we are going somewhere do you believe that maybe you can personalize that a bit. I am somebody and I'm going somewhere do you believe it Maybe if you say it out loud with me, it'll it'll lock in. Say it it with me. I am somebody, and I am going somewhere. Say it one more time. I am somebody, and I am going somewhere. It's absolutely true. There's something out there. There's something more. There's something greater. There's something more significant that God has in mind for me. God has put eternity in my heart. I I love the words of Gene Cernan. Some of you here are old enough to remember Gene Cernan. He was one of the Apollo astronauts, Purdue University grad, and he walked on the moon. And on his trip home from the moon, this voyage, an incredible voyage, uh, he had a few hours just to muse and consider what was happening. When he got home, he wrote these words. He said, there has to be something, someone who ordered all of this, not in a religious sense, but a spiritual sense. We came and went to the moon because of the predictability and the order of the universe. And I think Gene Cernan has reasoned well that indeed there is something bigger, something grander, something more powerful out there than us. And, and it, allowed, it allowed human beings to calculate speed and distance in order to send people to the moon and back home safely. And indeed, we have that hope in us. And yet the next part of the verse, verse 11, while God has put eternity in our heart, it then says, but we can't fathom what God has done from beginning to end. In other words, God knows some things that we don't. Now remember, I'm asking you to reaffirm your faith in confusing times. God knows some things we don't. We see the current situation. God sees the results. We see the present. God sees the future. So reaffirm your faith in confusing times. It's the right thing to do. Here's what Jesus said to his disciples in John chapter 13, verse 7, he said, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later on you'll understand. I don't know if that gives any comfort to you, but it does to me. Because there have been many times in my life when I've prayed, Lord, what are you doing? What's going on? Why is this happening? Why this? Why me? Why now? You've been in that moment too, haven't you? Those words are comforting to me. Jesus said, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later on. You'll understand. See, God knows some things that we don't know. God sees the front from the back. We can only see right now the current reality, the snapshot of the current moment that we live in, and a little bit of recollection from the past. But God sees the past, He sees the present, He sees the, the future, He sees the end of it, and He knows that it's all going to be okay because He's in control. Can I encourage you? Reaffirm your faith. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking you're thinking, look, I came to church today. I expected to hear the preacher say something helpful to me. And now all he's doing is saying stuff that everybody already knows. He's just, this is just preacher talk. I mean, what do you expect a preacher to say? All right, you're confused. You're in a tough season. It's a tough time. What should you do? Preacher says, well, get closer to God. Okay. Everybody knows that. And if you're sitting there right now thinking, I already know that pastor. Why do you have to bring this up? I mean, it's it's so common sense. It's so axiomatic. Why do you have to mention it? And the reason I mention it is because over the years of my pastoral ministry, I have watched this over and over and over and over again. A person gets in a confusing season of life and they go to pieces. They panic. They disconnect from the church. They they, they disconnect from their primary support networks and they react poorly and they start making bad decisions and all of these negative consequences occur as a result of these bad choices. So when, when you hear someone say, in confusing times, reaffirm your faith in God. Here's what I recommend you do. Do it. Actually do it. Don't run from God. Actually push into God. Actually practice this. Well, everybody knows that's what you're supposed to do. You get confused. You talk to God. You get upside down. You, you ask God for correction. Everybody knows that. Okay. Well, everybody knows it, but not everybody does it. So when it happens to you, press into God. Are you okay? Nod your head like you're all right. All right. There's three of you who's still okay. That's fantastic. When our youngest son, Isaac, was about eight years old, we were at the lake and there had been a heavy rainstorm and the lake filled up. And one of our piers a little lower and smaller than the other one. And the water actually went over the top of the pier by about an inch. So that from, the, from up on the, the hill at the house, looking down at the water, you couldn't see the pier at all. It was underwater by about an inch. And so Isaac went down there and he thought, this is going to be great. And he went down there and he starts walking on the pier. And from the house... And our neighbor Dave came out, and he was fascinated by the whole thing. And so I was chatting with the neighbor, you know, across the yard, and Isaac's down there walking on the pier. And he came strutting up the, up the, up the hill after several minutes, and he walked right up to our neighbor Dave. And remember, he's about eight or nine. And he, and he said, with great conviction, he said, You know, Dave, if you have enough faith, you can walk on water. <laughs> and Dave and I chuckled. Dave chuckled, and he said, yeah, I said that's probably right, but he said it's also helpful to know where the pier is. <laughs> but you know, I was I was actually out just walking and praying this past week, and I was re- recollecting that account, and I thought about that, and the and the and Isaac didn't say it as a punchline; he said it with great conviction, you know, the faith of a child. And so there he was, and he, he was very sincere, and he said, "You know, if you have enough faith, you can walk on water." And I just let that. I let that replay a few times. If you have enough faith, you can walk on water. You ever been in a moment in your life where the wind was blowing and the waves are crashing against the boat? You were wondering if you're going to capsize, you wonder if you're even going even to survive the storm. Ever been in a moment like that? Have you ever been in, in that moment when you know that your only hope may be God? Jesus gives himself. In appearance to you, standing literally out in the waves. Remember this account? We're sitting in the boat. You know, how many times we just say, I just think I'll just stay in the boat. I think I'll just hang on, tough it out, take my chances. I think I'll be okay. I've survived some storms before. Maybe I'll get through this one too. Just hang on. Jesus is out there saying, why don't you just come to me? You know, rise above the storm. Exercise your faith. Trust me. Things are are going to work out. You remember the the account when Peter actually got out of the boat and did walk on the water. Isn't that interesting? And Jesus calls us all to that kind of moment when we're in the storm to reaffirm our faith. Affirm your faith in confusing times. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said to the church at Corinth. This is 2 Corinthians 1.9. He said, this happened so that we might learn to trust not in ourselves but in God. It could be that God allows the storms in your life To help you grow in your faith and to grow in your trusting of God's grace in your life, yeah. So, in confusing times, affirm your faith. Here's uh, the third A word that you want, and the word is apply. Apply the present time to doing good. Now, how can your life be spent wisely? How can you do the best with your life? Here's Ecclesiastes 3.12, again from our text, and it says, there is nothing better for people than to be happy and do good while they live. There is not, This is Solomon now. He's very wise. And he said, there is nothing better for people to do than be happy and do good while they live. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Now, most of you thought that life was more complex than that. I mean you came in today you're carrying all kinds of stories, all kinds of burdens, all kinds of situations. It occurs to you that life is complex, life, relationships are difficult to manage, uh, details are hard to take care of, you know, life is hard. Life is difficult. Life is complex. It's all it's it's just it's hard. And you come in here and you just say it's hard to figure this out. There's just so much stuff flying around. There's so many things to do, there's so, so many things to sort. I'm just not sure if I can make it. Solomon comes along and says, "Look, This is the best use of your life. If you just want to boil it down to something that you can get get your hands on, get your mind around. Here's how it works out. Here's how it sorts best. If you'll just be happy and do good, there is nothing better for a person in this life than to be happy and to do good. Look at Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27. I'll put it on the screen for you so you can notice it. It says, whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. You want to make sense of your life? Be happy and do good. Now, listen, there are some of you in this room, you're going to outlive me. You're younger than me. You'll live longer than me. Some of you in this room, you're older than me. You'll outlive me. And one of these days, you're going to, you're going to hear through the grapevine, old Pastor Greg, he's dead. And you'll go, oh, Pastor Greg. Is dead. I know some of you won't have that reaction, but for m- many of you, you'll be, "Oh, I'm sad. He's dead." <laughs> I just heard a joke, but I'm not going to tell it. It just went <laughs> right through my head, and you'll have you'll have this you'll have this grief that comes over and you, and, and the first instinct you'll have is you know, I'm going to send him some flowers. That's what I'm going to do. You'll pick up the phone and you'll call the florist and you'll have some flowers sent over for the memorial. Flowers will be everywhere. Just really nice. <laughs> he did. Send some flowers. Some of you, some of you go, you know, Pastor Greg, you know, I, one time he said something that actually helped me. I just feel like I should do something. So you'll feel generous and you'll write a check and send it to the church. You so that? Yeah, in memory of Pastor Greg, because he's dead. Let me help you with that. I'll be dead. I'll be gone. I won't appreciate that. You can send flowers, but I won't be here to appreciate them. You can send money. It won't do me any good. So here's what I recommend you do. Do something now, not later. And frankly, I don't care that much for flowers. So just send money. You'll be doing good, and it'll make me happy. See how it works? This is great. You should know I had two guys walk up to me after first service. Two guys. And they both handed me money, one dollar (laughs) bills. They said, "Pray God will bless us. Give give us that God will give us a a threefold return on our on our giving." I said, "You guys are so cheap. You're going to need that hundredfold return to get anywhere on your giving, not threefold." Ecclesiastes 4 says, if you wait for the perfect conditions, you'll never get anything done. What are you waiting for to do good? What are you waiting for? If you wait for everything to be lined up perfectly, probably won't happen. I believe most of you are doing better than you think. Could I just encourage you today? Many of you are doing well and doing good, and yet you still don't believe it. Listen, I want to say you're doing better than you think. Can I give you permission to be happy about how well you're doing? Uh, Let me. Can I just mention parents today? You're doing good. Listen, I want you to know I notice. I notice how you're raising your kids. Now, your kids do goofy things and sometimes irresponsible things. I get that. But you keep loving them. You keep accepting them. You keep forgiving them. You keep unconditionally caring for them. And you're, you're, you're nurturing them and counseling them. You're doing good with your kids. And I want you to notice that. And I want you to realize how well you're doing and that you should feel happy about that. There are spouses in the room today and our church is full of stories like this where spouses have come to their senses and they've said, they've said to the other, you know, I, I think loving you like Christ loved the church is the best way forward and I want to submit to you as you submit to me. And there are numbers of marriages in the life of this church, not only that have restored their marriage from crisis, and, and redeem their marriage, and it's stronger than ever, but there are other marriages that have always been good, and always been strong, and they grow in their strength, and they be, you become mentors to other couples in the journey. So many of you in your marriages are doing really, really good. Now let me just remind you, doing good just doesn't mean a good state, you know, a, a good attitude. Doing good is not a verb in this case. In Ecclesiastes 3.12, it's a noun. So what, what Solomon is saying is be happy and do good things. Do good stuff. Do good. And some of you in your marriages, you're doing really good. Some of you young people, could I just say that, that I've noticed, and it's obvious to me and many others, that you are, that you are a person who is growing in your devotion to Christ and, and you're respectful to your parents and to your teachers, your professors and to your friends and peers, and you have a growing sense of your own personal destiny in God, and a growing sense of God's call on your entire generation, and I just want to say you're doing good. You're doing good. I notice. I'm proud of you. You're, you're, you are on the right track, and God is going to use you. There's so many teachers and, and other leaders in the context of our church, and sometimes I know as teachers you wonder if anything you do matters at all in the lives of your kids, let me just say, what you do matters. What you do matters. The words you speak, the simple, the simple gestures of affirmation and encouragement and blessing on the children that you instruct, it matters in their lives. And sometimes I know it gets, uh, it gets wearisome and difficult, frustrating, but God is with you and God is using you. You're doing good. My permission is, since you're doing good, Give yourself permission to be happy. Be happy about that because you're doing well. And, and others of you, you own businesses, you manage employ- employees, you have important responsibilities, and you're creating a culture in your business where your employees can enjoy a culture that's Christ-centered and the right values are expressed there. And people's lives are actually meaningful in that culture, and it matters in their lives. And you're doing really good, really, really good really good. Some of you are employees and you punch the clock and you go to work every day and, and you work hard and, you, and you're diligent in, in the things that God places in front of you. And you wonder sometimes if that matters. And I want to say to you, it matters because you're raising the value of the company that you work in. You're raising your own sense of esteem. You're, you're influencing your coworkers. It matters that you do so good in the context of your work in so many ways, in hundreds of others of ways, let me just say that you are doing good. And so my permission giving today is about being happy about that. Be happy about that. Give yourself permission. There's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good. And can I remind you that those two things go together. It's not a coincidence that Solomon used those two points in the same sentence. Because if if you're just happy, if you're just enjoying life and rejoicing in life, and, and that's all you have, then what will happen to you is you'll, you'll, you'll grow into, into a sourness. It'll get warped. If it's only about your enjoyment and your happiness, and you're not doing good for others, then you become indulgent, and it, and it becomes unhealthy. And on the other hand, if you're only doing good without giving yourself permission to be happy, then that becomes tiresome. And wearisome. That's why the Bible says, don't weary in your well-doing, but hang in there. And the way that you hang in in well-doing is by celebrating the opportunities God gives you and being happy along the way. There's nothing better for a person than to be happy and to do good. Here's the fourth, here's the fourth idea, and it's the word appreciate. That's the word you need, appreciate all your time as a gift from God. This will be a quick point. Ecclesiastes 3.13, All of us should eat and drink and enjoy what we have worked for. It is God's gift. Now, I'm talking to mostly Christians in the room today, and our problem isn't the the doing good. We're pretty good at doing good. The problem for most Christians is the being happy. Now, let let that settle for a minute. Too many Christians feel guilty for such activities that Solomon recommends in Ecclesiastes 3.13. You should eat and drink and enjoy what you work for. It's God's gift. So the right perspective is, everything that God has given me is His gift. Life is a gift. So receive it. Unwrap it. Enjoy it. Place value on the time and the resources God has given you by His grace. It's the right thing to do. I'm not saying we should play all the time. I'm just suggesting that we should enjoy the time and the blessings that God has given us. Can I get an amen? I mean, there should be some fun in this thing as we go. Ecclesiastes 11.8 says, However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. Gosh, that's so important. Enjoy your life. Let me ask you, do you still enjoy your birthday? Still enjoy it? As you get older, you go, I'm not sure I'm supposed to celebrate this anymore. Yes, yes, you are. Yes, you're alive, and it's a gift from God. Appreciate all the time God gives you. One lady gave another lady a birthday card. It read, don't let another birthday frustrate you. We have men for that. (laughs) Number four. So here's the last one. Number five. Here's the A word you need for this fifth point. Anticipate. Anticipate giving an account of your life. Anticipate giving an account. Now, so far this sermon has been, you know, pretty practical and pretty straightforward and fairly easy to cope with. But this last point, it's not as easy. In Ecclesiastes 3.15, it says, God will call the past to account. God will call the past to account. Now, listen, this is not a popular theme in today's postmodern, post-Christian culture. We have a lot of folks who tout themselves as very spiritual and they've taken a little bit of this and a little bit of that from their spiritual experiences and philosophies and they put it all together and so they they call themselves spiritual. But there's one component that always is missing, almost always missing from today's spirituality which is ultimate accountability. We like the notion of a God who's up there and he's all loving and he's all forgiving and he's all tolerant and no matter what you are inclined to do. It's good with God as long as you are good and careful. And that's a happy religion. It really is very happy. The Bible, though, talks very specifically about the notion of accountability. In fact, let me put this verse of Scripture on the screen for you. Romans 14.12 says, Each of us will give an account of himself to God. Are there any questions? That's pretty clear, pretty straightforward, isn't it? Every one of us will give an account to God. Now, have you ever imagined what that might be like? I've thought about this. (laughs) You are now standing alone at the judgment bar of Almighty God. Some big angel calls your name. Paris, step forward. We have questions. The final test. Question one, number one. Did you pray enough? Did you read your Bible enough? Did you work hard enough? Did you gossip too much? Did you have too many impure thoughts? Oh. When you hear that depiction, how many of you have an overwhelmingly good emotion? Just a warmth that flows over you, and you say, I could pass that quiz with flying colors. I'm good to go. Listen, that's a problem, isn't it? It's a problem. Years ago, one of my mentors, he's a guy who's about 15 years older than me, and so he's just coached me, fathered me in the, in the faith over the years. I hadn't seen him for a couple of years, and we saw each other at a conference. We caught, we made eye contact, immediately went to each other. We embraced each other. Good, great to see him. And then he pushed me back like this, had his hands on my shoulders, just like in a fatherly way, and looked me right in the eyes, and he asked me this question. He said, Are you having fun? And the the question caught me off guard. I wasn't ready for that question. If he'd said, are you running the race? I'd say, yes, sir, (laughs) running the race. I got that. He said, are you fighting the good fight? I am, soldiering on, fighting the good fight. Yep, got it. He said, are you faithful? If he'd asked, are you keeping the faith? I would have said, By God's grace, keeping the faith. Yes, sir. I'm there. (laughs) But he didn't ask any of those questions that I could have answered very quickly. He asked me, are you having fun? And I hesitated. And then I had... And then I had to endure the lecture (laughs) because I hesitated. And my answer was weak. I said, well, uh, yeah, I... Well, I, I want to have fun. I do. I, I know fun's important. And fun is, is you know, happy is a good thing in there. But, boy, so he, he, he worked me over, just like a good father would. And that lingers with me even to this moment, as you can see. Listen, let me tell you what I think God's going to ask us as we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an accounting for our lives. This is how I think it's going to go maybe not exactly like this, but nuanced in some form like this, I think the first question is going to be, did you enjoy the time I gave you? Did you enjoy the time I gave you? Or did you fret all the time trying to get more time and not enjoying the time you had? Or did you worry about stuff that really wasn't important and that kept you from enjoying the time you had? Or did you get preoccupied with all kinds of details that you thought were essential to your life and very, very important, But weren't really ultimately important at all. And somehow you missed the point of enjoying the gift of life that I gave you. Did you enjoy the life I gave you? And I think the second question is going to be something like this Did you do any good? Did you do any good? I mean, did you think about someone besides yourself and do some good in the lives of others? This is the message of Ecclesiastes 3. I believe if you get these two things right, then most other things will fall into place. God wants you to be happy. That is to enjoy your life, to have a rejoicing spirit as you go along. And he wants you to do good. Now, here's a fact. Hear me me on this. Genuine happiness and joy is a rare commodity in our world. And I'm not just talking about the Christian world. I think the whole world. But it's especially true and poignantly true in the Christian world. I'm not talking about some thrill from a bottle or some short-run selfish, soulish indulgence that is short-lived. I mean, a a lifestyle of genuine rejoicing, genuine and doing good. I think it's very, very rare, very rare. But in my opinion, the problem with most of us is that we, we do good, but we don't believe it. So we're not happy. And I think most of you are doing great good. So I want to give you permission again to be happy and to enjoy your life. You know, a little while ago, about 15 minutes ago, I made this point, and I think I convinced most of you to take the permission I was giving you and let yourself be happy. But you backslid in 20 minutes because you're sad again. And so I just want to say it again. You're doing good, so be happy. Really, you're doing good, great good. So be happy. Genuine happiness is so rare so glaring, so unusual that it makes a tremendous impact on the lives it touches. Bringing genuinely happy presence to the world in which you live is a great testimony to God's grace. It really is. I want to end this message with a a, a scripture that I think is just tremendous. This is absolutely powerful. It is life-changing. It is a mind-blowing statement. And it comes from the Apostle Paul. He wrote it to the church at Philippi. It's Philippians 4.11. I'll put it on the screen for you so you can see it. He said, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content. We could say happy or satisfied. I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Can you let that soak in just a second? I've learned to be content, happy no matter the circumstances. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't think I'm there yet. I'm I'm closer than I've ever been, but I'm still in need of more maturing. Do you understand how wonderful it would be to live in that reality? Can you imagine the peace and the happiness and the joy and the productivity that could come to your life if that was actually true? This is is the same guy, the Apostle Paul, who's withering away in the Mamertine prison in Rome, chained to some wall and some dungeon, and he wrote the words, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he realized full well that five minutes from now, they could come in there and lop off off his head, and that would be the end of him. But instead, he's there living in the reality that I have learned to be content, happy, satisfied, content no matter the circumstances. I mean, he said that and actually believed it. So then that allowed him to say whether I live or die is okay. If I live, it's Christ. But if I die, it's gain. If they cut me loose and let me go, I'm just going to keep preaching the gospel of hope found in Jesus Christ. And, I, and I'll lead people to Him, and that'll be great. But he said if they come in here and kill me, that'll be better. To die is gain. So they can come in here and kill me in the next five minutes. That's profit to me, because then I'll be with Jesus. What, what kind of what kind of effect would this have on the on the typical temptations we deal with in our lives? You know, those places where we get tripped up so easily. What if we really learned how to be happy and do good and learn to be content no matter the circumstance? What would that do to temptation? What if the devil came along and said, Listen, if you'll stop chasing after God and you'll stop living for Jesus, I will give you the world. I'll give you everything the world has to offer. But you're a person who's content, no matter what. You respond to that temptation by saying, Look, I've got everything I need. I'm happy. I don't need any more to be happy. I'm content. I'm content right now. Take your world. Who needs it? I'm happy. What if the devil gets frustrated by that response and he says, all right, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take everything that's meaningful to you away from you. Just take it all. If you're a person living in in this reality, then you just say, look, none of it's mine. Don't you get it? I'm just passing through here whatever whatever is in my possession right now belongs to god i'm just merely stewarding it i don't have to have this stuff to be happy my my hope my contentment my satisfaction my happiness is found in my relationship with god he's all i need he's the one who puts contentment in a human heart not all that stuff take my stuff i don't care i'm content This afternoon, when you're finishing lunch or before you eat lunch and you're bowing your head, would you pray? God, help me to be happy and to do good, content in my life, no matter what. When you lay your head on the pillow tonight, would you remember this simple little phrase from Ecclesiastes 3.12? God, there's nothing better for me than to be happy and to do good, to do good. Well, we've talked about uh, serving and volunteering in the life of the church. And there's a family in our church called the Cartwrights. They serve in all kinds of ways. made a little video to present them. And just to encourage and inspire you to think about areas where you can serve, do good in your life. I want you to check it out. Thanks.
1: My name is Christine Cartwright, and I am a volunteer worship leader in JC Junction, which is the children's ministry here at Union Chapel. And what a worship leader does is I get to pick the music and then teach the kids motions to the songs every week. And the reason why I love volunteering so much is really the kids. I'm passionate about kids and love teaching them music and just love getting to do life with them and seeing how they're growing on a week to week basis. With the volunteer role that I have, I kind of have a front row seat to kind of watch how God um, is working in the lives of these kids from week to week. And it's really cool when you have a child that just kind of stands there like this and just thinks I'm cool and, you know, this isn't for me. And God works in their heart and he moves them to a place where they get it. They understand who they are and how much he loves them and they want to participate and they're the ones that are up front leading the other kids in the room. It's really a neat thing to see and I'm so glad to be a part of it. My husband Rob and I have tried to show both of our boys from a very young age that serving is something that we do regularly and we do it together as a family. And so when they were little, we just took them wherever we went wherever we served so that they could see what we were doing. And the cool thing now is that they've gotten older and they've plugged in to areas that they are interested in. You don't have to be an adult to serve. You can find a place to serve no matter what your age is. And I love the fact that both of my boys are able to do that on a week to week basis and we still get to serve together as a family. You know, God has taught me that anyone can serve you just have to be willing to do it it can be kind of intimidating to volunteer for the first time when you've never done it before and so i would say to you if you don't really know where you fit in maybe go and talk to a pastor have them explain to you a little bit about some of the different areas that we have in the church we certainly have tools like a spiritual gift survey where you can go online and they ask you certain questions to see what kind of things you like and what you don't and then once you've kind of used those tools, try to find an area that you think you could plug in and just start and try it for like a month or two and see if that doesn't work. And if it's not really something that suits you, try something else. But the big key is to just try and see how God can use you to make an impact on others. Wasn't that great?
0: This uh, brochure that you received in your bulletin today has a little insert in it, and I hope that you'll take a moment during our closing song maybe to look that over, check one of those options there, and just pass this to the aisle. The ushers are going to actually collect these today uh, during our closing song, so I hope that you'll take a moment to do that. And of course, we have an open house over in the chapel immediately following the service. If you go through the gray wall there and hang a right and just go across to the chapel right next door... There are some wonderful people there that are representing all of these areas depicted in the brochure and can speak with you, answer any questions you have. It doesn't mean you're making you know, a commitment to do anything, but you're just informing yourself and opening your life to the possibility of doing some good. And so I want to encourage you to do that. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for this important text of Scripture that is so enlightening to us. Lord, thank you for reminding us that life really is boiled down to simple things. So help us, Lord, to accept your purpose in our lives, no matter the season, good or bad, and that even in confusing times, we can affirm our faith in your trustworthiness. Help us, help us then to apply our life to doing good for others and for making a difference appreciating the time that you've given us as a gift, truly happy for the wonderful grace you've provided, and then ultimately anticipating being able to answer the questions. Did you enjoy the time I gave you? Did you do good? Lord, that we would be ready to answer those questions very enthusiastically. Yes, I enjoyed the gift of life you gave me. Yes, I did some good. Lord, help us by your grace to measure up to that simple standard. We pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said amen. Would you stand with us as we sing?